Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Dara here. Oh, I am so happy to be with you. My favorite hour of the week. We just get to visit. Here's what I want to know. What are you cooking? It's kind of cooking project weekend, right? This is the kind of get to put everything in the freezer, start making plans. Are you making stock? Are you getting ready for... Christmas, you're making your refrigerator cookie dough, or are you planning your latkes for tomorrow? I got a Twitter poll out, seeing what people are up to. I was looking at a very fancy recipe this morning that had all of these uh, root vegetables in it. Uh, kind of part of me just feels like make something new, and part of me feels like no, make my mom's recipe, which is just peeled potatoes. Very old school, a little baking soda in there. Uh, so some people put are putting like chard and other vegetables in their latkes. Is that you? 81807. I want to know what you're cooking. All right. So I know what Lindsay Jean Hard is cooking, I think. I think she's cooking with scraps because she's on trend. She works at Zingerman's, which is a famous place in Michigan, which I've never been to. And I only just remembered today I want to put on my life list and get to. Uh, she has a really cool book. It is called Cooking with Scraps. Turn your peels, cores, rinds, and stems into delicious meals. It came out of a column she's been doing for Food 52 that is all about, you know, kind of cooking everything. Cooking everything. Why, why do you buy a bunch of beets and then throw the greens out? You shouldn't do it. All right. Lindsay Jean is on the line. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, congrats on the book. Thank you. Did you know you were going to be so on trend? The James Beard Foundation is out trying to get us to do scraps. Everyone's like, stop with the food waste, America. And then there you are. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a really big problem. So it's it's great that there are multiple people trying to help us tackle the issue. Well, you've been on this for a while. So tell tell me a little bit about you. Are you you did you, are you like a a Michigan lifer? Tell me about Lindsay Jean. I am. I am born and raised in Michigan and I've always been here with the exception of a couple years uh, spent in Japan. Oh, my sister lives in Japan. She loves it. Oh, nice. In Japan, I never get over this. Like you have to buy your own refrigerator for your apartment. Seems so crazy to me. And she's like, it's normal. It's normal. So, uh, I thought not having an oven was a little bit crazier. <laughs> yeah. You just got to get all those things. Like we think we take these things for granted. Um, so tell me, so you, you grew up in Michigan. Did you grow up sort of with a, you know, using the whole potato and keeping the peels for something or other? No, not exactly. But I've always been really sustainably minded and focused on, on the environment. And it's just sort of showed up in different ways over the years. Um, and it was when I was working at food52.com, 
as you mentioned, um, we were having this editorial brainstorm and Gabrielle Hamilton's cookbook Prune had just come out and she has a garbage chapter in there. And we're like, wouldn't it be cool to have a column around that? And I was like, oh, I have to have it. That sounds amazing. So then I just started hunting through the recipe archives to look for recipes from the Food 52 community that were making really smart use of underutilized produce parts and other odds and ends. Yeah, I love apple peels. Whenever we do anything that is, you know, peeling a bunch of apples, I never let the kids throw them out. Like, it's just they're they're delicious. They are. They're so flavorful. And I understand why you don't want your apple peels in your pie. But then the flavors are really good. You have a neat recipe in here. Uh, Tell the people what you do with apple peels. Yeah, so I turn the apple peels into chips. You can... um, like dehydrate them essentially in your oven. And it's just, you can take them all the way to crispy or you can leave them a little bit chewy. And it's just this nice fruit snack um, to enjoy. And, you know, you mentioned pie. Um, Zingerman's Bakehouse, where I work now, we're actually starting to not peel the apples in our pie. How does that work? Yeah. Um, It's great. So we used um, Ida Red Apples from a nearby orchard. And so it adds this lovely pink color um, to the filling. But we've also found that it completely softens enough as it cooks that, you know, it's a fine addition to the pie. Well, all the different apples have different thicknesses of skin, right? That's one of the one of the uh, problems that everybody doesn't like. The Red Delicious, part of that is because it was uh, it's just such a good shipping apple, right? Because it's got that super thick yeah. skin. So the I don't I'm not familiar with the Ida Red. Michigan is an apple powerhouse, though. I bet you get all kinds of heirloom apple varieties that I don't know about. Yes, we are lucky. <laughs> oh, and so just I have to ask you, Zingerman's, what's it like right now? You're in the swing. This is like such an American icon. Yeah, I I love it. It's really exciting. It's pretty new. I've only been there for a couple months, but I'm going through our first Thanksgiving and seeing the production of thousands and thousands of pies was really a fun thing to be a part of. Mm, you're in the, you picked a good place to be for holiday 2018. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> but you said that uh, you're one of the, the recipes and we have this up on the magazine website and we have it up here at WCCO Radio too. a link to that. If you go to uh, everybody in Radio Land, go to WCCORadio.com. You can get a link to Lindsay Jean's uh, Banana Peel cake. And when I first read banana peel cake, I was like, what? And then you said it's your your grandma's recipe. I've modified my grandmother's recipe. Yeah. I I think this is probably going to be one of the most surprising recipes for folks in the book. Um, It's shocking, quite frankly. I didn't know you could do anything with banana peels. I know. I think many of us don't, but they are, in fact, edible. Um, And so I just cook them to soften them a little bit, and then I blend them into a fruit puree. And I originally thought I would make a banana bread. Um, I don't know about you, though. There's so many banana bread recipes out there, and it's hard to find, like, the perfect one. Um, But my grandmother has always made this banana cake, like, all through my growing up years. And so I I used that as a jumping-off point because I already loved it so much, and it worked beautifully. It's kind of shocking. I mean, when you think about the food waste problem, right, we're all kind of trying to get our head around it. A lot of it, I always see that number of 40% of food is wasted and you don't quite know what it means. Does that mean like you're bringing home, 
you know, groceries and then 40 percent of them go in the garbage. Like uh, that, that, that can't be. Or is it, you know, some things are getting rained on in the fields and are getting destroyed. Like it's it's. Uh, but then you think about the way that you could actually use some of the things that you throw away. It's just kind of mind boggling. Like there's another universe, you know, the multiple universe theory. There's another universe where everybody's always doing this to their banana peels. Yeah, those numbers are really staggering. And um, I was looking at SaveTheFood.com, which is a great resource from the Natural Resources Defense Council. And, you know, I knew that waste was happening at all levels, but I kind of thought that it must be more on the, like, restaurant or supermarket side. Um, But on that website, I saw that it's consumers that are to blame for the bulk of the problem. So it's, you know, these seem like really small changes to make, but they can have a big impact. Yeah, I definitely... uh... You know, there's so much of this that is just basic cuisine. I think about things like strata. You've got a great strata recipe in your book, and and uh, that's just basically, you know, you got your leftover eggs or not eggs. You got your leftover bread, and then you mix it up with some eggs. You're halfway to an egg bake, and that's just, you know, that's just good sense. Yeah, yep, and it's using up all those odds and ends in the fridge that you didn't know what to do with. Yeah, we live, uh, we live out in, well, you probably have this too. There's a... I have friends who are addicted to the rural cheese stores, and they just like go and if something's on sale, they buy it up, and then you can make a really good strata. So that's a that's a big thing. So, um, I wanted to ask you a few more things. Like, so let's talk about some of the unusual flavors that you get at because I'm very intrigued by this. Uh, using things like beet peels, like that's a very earthy. And then you kind of talk about how you can, um, you know, use them in, say, mezcal, and then you get a, a you know, you, you pull out those earthy flavors. There's a whole bunch of, you know, for greedy chef types who want to try, get new flavors. Like, you don't have to look at, you know, you don't have to travel to Indonesia. You could you could find new flavors right in your house. Yeah, and that beet peel margarita is one of my very favorite recipes. So let's walk people through it. it. So you you take in your beets, your beet your your beets, you're peeling them, and then you shove that into a jar. Yeah, along with some tequila, and you know, let that tequila pick up the flavor of the beet peels, and then you're just making a standard margarita with some lime juice and a little simple syrup and um, an orange flavored liqueur. Yeah, there's a bunch of those things that you just don't think about. Like that is a that is a, a, a flavor, but it's not something that you can kind of get at because you don't want to just sit around eating beet peels. But then there's that way to access it. Um, so, yeah, and it makes a really pretty red drink, which is nice for the holiday season too. It is. I'm getting ready for the holidays in my mind. I have <laughs> I haven't done anything really. I've done some shopping, but uh, all right. So Lindsay Jean Hard, we're talking about your cool book cooking with scraps. So tell me, so you've been doing this project now for a few years. You've been kind of thinking about the odds and ends, the things that people don't see. How has it changed your relationship to your own cooking and your own kitchen? Oh, it's absolutely impacted it on every level. Um, You know, I still, I have a garden and we compost at home. So a lot of things are going into our compost bin because we know it'll benefit our garden. But it's changed how I shop. I mean, I I love going to the farmer's market and I love buying whatever catches my eye. But then as soon as I get home, I make sure that I sit down and plan out how I'm going to use everything that I just bought, you know, both the root vegetable 
um, bottom and the greens. Like I'm planning out my whole menu to make sure that nothing goes to waste. And then if the plan changes and we go out to dinner one night, instead of making whatever I was planning on making, I take that time to figure out whether I need to cook something or freeze it uh, to try and avoid food waste. It's it's fascinating because a lot of these things are, I don't want to say new because that sounds like a crazy person, but a few, you know, uh, 20 years ago, it was hard to find beets with beet greens in the grocery store. And when I say that, probably 50 years ago it was easy, but <laughs> there was this missing time where it was hard to find beet greens. I started buying you know, beets with beet greens, carrots with carrot greens, because that was the easiest way to ensure a fresh product, right? Because of the, the carrots with the nice frothy greens on the top, those are brand new. Like they have not been, you know, languishing in a warehouse for six months. Um, and then and then sort of now that you're in this like new world where you have access to these things, you kind of have to learn the old world strategies of using these things. So it's it's kind of funny. It's like we have to like learn how people actually interacted with a garden, you know, for a thousand years, like here in the present day, because we're just not used to it. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, this is not a new concept by any means, but it is cyclical. And, you know, wartime generations would have done this without a second thought. So it's it's relearning and, you know, just a mental shift of realizing that these are just another edible part of the vegetable that tastes delicious and we should be making good use of. And do you have a favorite out of all these things? I think I have a favorite, but I think I'll ask you. Do you have a favorite out of like a eureka moment, your favorite scrap that you're just like, oh, this is the best thing. Everybody should know about this. Um, my favorite eureka moment, um, I think, would be a tie between uh, artichoke leaves and coffee grounds. Um, for the artichoke leaves, I had a dream about using them as nachos um, because if you're trying to get just at the heart of the artichoke, you're scrapping a lot of that artichoke. Um, so if you're treating the leaves kind of like you would a chip and topping them with, in my case, feta and black olives, but you could use whatever you want to, and then um, having them like little appetizers, so you get the delicious bite of artichoke at the end of the leaf and then whatever toppings you put on it. I think it's a really fun appetizer that makes great use of a scrap. Um, and then coffee grounds still have so much coffee flavor in them. There's just a wide variety of ways that we could be using them. Um, in the cookbook, I'm mixing them into a nut butter. So you get that coffee flavor and you get a little added texture in there too. I go through a lot of coffee, so I have a lot of coffee. Grounds. All right. <laughs> Lindsay Jean Hard, it has been fun talking to you. The book is Cooking with Scraps. We have a link to a recipe up on the website. I really appreciate you coming on the show this morning and congrats on the book. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right, everybody. You can go cook with your scraps. That's what I'm going to do. I'm also going to give you some recipes. I got a scrappy recipes for thrift lovers. That's what we're going to get to when we come back. And then I will also get to answering questions, 81807. And I also really just want to know what you're cooking. So far on my Latka poll online, people are going with pure potatoes. Maybe you're on a different path. Maybe you're going to put caramel in yours. Let me know. I need to know. 81807. Dara here. All right. This, we're going to talk about recipes. They are up. They're looking good. They're on our good Entercom website, wccoradio.com. 
backslash menu if you want to go straight there, or you can just enjoy the whole WCCORadio.com website because it looks good. Ugh, we've got our cooking with scraps recipes up there. I feel good about this. I have a very amusing picture that they put up with it, too, that is someone eating money on a plate. So that got to like that. You don't see that every day. So here are my top five recipes for thrift lovers. I had to put Lindsay Jean's banana peel cake up there. You're wondering about that. You're just like, maybe I, I want to boil some banana peels and then blend them up. Maybe nobody saw that coming. They didn't see that coming because you're, you're, you're bringing it. My number two, I'm going to do roasted beet salad with beet greens and feta. I really love I just the whole beet greens and beets together. I love it. It's a good thing. And everyone is doing beets and chev, and so you're going to be thriftier and do beets and feta. That's even better. All right, did you ever get beer? Did you ever, like, buy a flyer six-pack, and then you get home and you're just like, ugh, this is not for me? Don't throw it off. Don't don't throw it away. Don't run over to your neighbor's house and, like, abandon it on their table. Make a carbonade. Yeah, by the time you've cooked it with a bunch of pot roast and garlic, it would really have to be a bad beer to even really kind of live through that that process, that, you know, 10-hour process. A lot of black pepper, onions and garlic. That's what you do when you made an impulse beer purchase and it wasn't working for you. All right. Here's another really good thrifty, thrifty, thrifty recipe. I One of my kids' teachers taught me how to do this. Did this really lovely event in the first and second grade called Stone Soup and they would just put all these kind of things in a crock pot, just whatever vegetable anybody wanted to contribute. Always had potatoes and onions, uh, carrots, and then just throw some V8 over it. Crock pot, crock pot, crock pot. And at the end of it, you've got something delicious. Of course, there's no recipe for this online because it's kind of, kind of, you know, just a standard vegetable soup. But uh, I did find something very close, and they called it a cabbage roll soup because they were putting hamburger and cabbage in there but just it's kind of a neat thing it's a very it makes you feel that you could make dinner anytime anywhere it's a good feeling and then I got a good brunch strata recipe up and that is you know you got all your little bits and bobs you got all your little ends of your bread your ends of your cheese nothing quite matches probably not the freshest well that's when a strata comes in all of these recipes are up WCCORadio.com backslash menu. They look good. You should go admire them. Show your friends. Then when we come back, we are going to kind of get to your questions. We're going to talk to Chef Howie from the Seattle Seahawks for Taste of the NFL because people are hungry around this country. We've got to do something about that. We've got a long list of to-dos. That's on it. All right, and that's what we'll have when we come back. Dara here Guess who's on the line? It's Chef John Howie from Taste of the NFL. He is repping the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, what is going on out on the West Coast? It's cold here today. It's not as cold here, but it is a little wet. <laughs> yeah. So is that so you get like a lot of good produce, right? You guys are just getting produce ten months of the year, nine months of the year? What is it? Uh, about nine. You know, and then we have some people who do some greenhouse stuff around here too. So it stretches it out to ten or eleven. But 
Yeah, we it's not have quite some, California. We have but. some hoop house people that can manage to get us to maybe nine months, ten months. It's it, I love those people. God bless them all. Yeah. Uh, so you are in kind of foodie territory. You're in the headquarters of it all, right off of Portlandia, right? You're where they take it more seriously even. Well, I, I think we take it even more serious than our, our neighbors to the south. I think you do. You do. Yeah. So then you <laughs> got a lot of pressure, right? Because you have to you have to cook for a much, a very intense audience. Well, you know that's that's okay. I, I like to be challenged, and I love to be creative. So this really helps me do that. You know, if you if you don't do it, you're not going to survive. So you got to do that. You know, and I've been to a few of the places in uh, Minneapolis that I've seen that are doing a really nice job as well, especially last year when we came up for the Super Bowl. Oh, it was so cold. I liked <laughs> it. We really proved that we were strong. You were like, oh, that's that's constantly <laughs> below zero. Well, I like yeah, it. I, I just asked my sous chef if he wanted to come with me to uh, Atlanta for the this year's <laughs> Super Bowl, and he said, is it going to be cold? <laughs> he, he was there last year. We we spent a little time walking around that ice house and stuff. That was kind of fun. It was. It was a beautiful. It was a beautiful experience. And in retrospect, now I'm glad it was that cold. Even at the time, it was kind of bonkers. But uh, just because now you really you really understand us much better now. Oh, we have much much more respect for the people who can live in that weather. See, see, <laughs> we're we're morally strong and possibly yeah. insane. It's a it's a good combination. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the work that you do. You've been uh, helping out for Taste the NFL for a while. Um, it's, uh, you know, tell me what you've been up to. Well, you know, I've been doing it now uh, for 16 years. And so I was lucky enough to join the Taste the NFL the year before the Seahawks had their first Super Bowl in Detroit, which was also a crazy place to have a Super Bowl. It snowed like crazy the night before. But it's um, something that I find a big passion for is trying to help hungry people. And the Tasty NFL has done an amazing job of that for, I think it's 27 or 28 years now. And um, Wayne Kotrowski, who is the founder. And, Our hero. We love Wayne. Yeah. Well, there's no reason not to. No. That, that man can get uh, people involved and, and really get some great results. He knows and, everybody in the country. Yeah. I mean... It, it's been it's been kind of a blast because I've had the opportunity every year. Um, you know, there's a few new chefs, but we have a camaraderie between the people who've been doing it all along, and it's just really great. It's kind of like going back and having a family reunion every year at the Super Bowl. Yeah, and that you know Wayne makes it uh, so nice because people really do want to dig deep and contribute, and then turns into millions of dollars for hunger relief. It really does, and then. What was it, six or seven years ago when they decided that they were going to start a, th- a friendly competition between the chefs and the players who support the taste of the NFL, which was brilliant because you're talking to a bunch of people who are competitive already. I mean, we already talked about, <laughs> talked about the food scene being competitive. We know that they're competitive in the NFL. And so by challenging us to go out and raise money for our own communities, I think that was a brilliant, a brilliant idea. And, uh, you know, we we took it wholeheartedly and have been a huge part of the Kick Hunger Challenge since then. Yeah, if, if people haven't looked, there's a kickhungerchallenge.com website, and you can kind of scroll through and see all, you know, how much money every team has raised. And, oh, boy, howdy, the Seattle Seahawks are doing great. I just got to you guys. You're up to $56,000. That's amazing. Well, we have we have had a couple of events 
that uh, we do. Uh, when we first started, we did some small events, and Craig Terrell, who was one of our um, first Super Bowl players, is now the player who works with me. And Craig actually lives in Indianapolis but still comes out to Seattle to do stuff. And we call him the Singing Seahawk because he has his own band, so we use his band for some things. And we had a poker event in June at CenturyLink Field, and this is probably the funnest thing we do. We get at least 75 celebrities to come out because they love it so much. So I cook dinner for everybody, then we just play poker and until somebody wins the thing. That is a good idea. It is a great idea. It's a lot of fun, and um, it's just grown each year. So this is our third year for that. We always have had an auction, and then we added in the Taste of the Seahawks last year as another event, and, and that event hasn't been added in yet. So last Ooh, year are you we telling raised... me? So you're dominating this board. Good job. All right, everybody else for the whole rest of the country, you got to get out of kickhungerchallenge.com and do something because they're schooling us in Seattle. It's it's a little early still. I mean, it's funny because a lot of people hold back. We did that for a few years. And and then, uh, you know, at the end, what you really want to look at this is the week before. The no, week I want people to look finishing. at it now and panic. <laughs> That's what I want. So, you know, this is a good time to give. And that money goes directly to the food banks in the cities within which those NFL teams are. So if you donate from Cleveland to the Cleveland team, that money is staying in your city, and most of the food banks raise anywhere from four to eight meals for every dollar donated. So you put in 10 bucks, you've just done 80, 40 to 80 meals, and, and that's incredible. That, that's making a difference with a $10 bill. Yeah, and, and, and we'll take it. <laughs> and if you can, you know, if you can feed people, you, you do so much. I mean, the you know, food is the foundation of health. It's the foundation of learning. It's the foundation of pulling yourself, you know, out of whatever mess you're in and getting things to a better place. I mean, if you can't eat, you can't do anything. And they yeah. make money go so far. They, they really do. The food banks have gotten so good with partnering with local food providers and that type of thing. And that's how they can do that. I mean, people are saying, well, how can they, you know, make 12 cents a, a meal? Well, they partner with food purveyors who have food that, you know, a grocery store is not going to take or a restaurant's not going to take. It's not that the food is bad, but it's food that needs to be used right now, mm-hmm. and they can get it used right now. One of the things that, you know, everybody should look at is that they say that one in six children in every classroom is hungry most of the time. One in six. You can't learn if you're hungry. And number two, that's five kids out of every classroom in America. We've got to do something about that. We can make a difference. Hunger doesn't have to happen in this country. We've got the food. Yeah, exactly. And I've been uh, I've done some touring of some of the food shelves and and they are so smart about, you know, they'll get any kind of packaging mistake that a big food producer makes, you know, like if something goes wrong in the packaging, they they have, you know, like who cares if the printing is off and the picture doesn't look exactly. right. Exactly. <laughs> that's one of the be- I think that's one of the best things that happens to the food banks is when just the printing on the outside of the box is off. It, it just doesn't matter. Right. So. And there's so many of those things. All right. Well, Chef Howie, you are uh, – thank you for giving all of this time and energy and your good ideas. I, I think this poker thing, I might have to talk to you offline about whether that can be replicated. That sounds good. Oh, it, it definitely can be replicated. And that's one, one of the other things. When we started this seven years ago – people weren't sure on what to do. And so every year when we've come back and we go to the Taste of the NFL, 
we talk to all the different chefs in the different communities and give them thoughts on what it is they can do within their own community to to raise money in their own community. So, and it's been successful. All right. Well, I can't thank you enough for giving us your morning. I really appreciate it. Uh, Chef John Howie of the Seattle Seahawks, you rock. Thanks. Thank you. It was my pleasure. <laughs> All right, everybody, go to tasteoftheNFL.com. Go to the kickhungerchallenge.com. You can then, you know, needle your friends from college. Just be like, whoa, why aren't you? How could it be that Arizona is not quite up to speed or wherever you went to college? My brother went to Arizona, so I was aware of Arizona. Um, and then kind of find out, find out whether you can kind of join this party. I think it's really it's it's uh, it's an honor to be part of this. So kickhungerchallenge.com and taste of the nfl.com. We come back, we're going to do the ask me anything. You can give me your true unvarnished feelings about weird stuff in your latkes or if you're a potato purist, the text line is open 81807. All right, the text line is open. I wanted to know what you're cooking. I'm always just – it just makes me feel cozy. I want to know what you're cooking. It gives me a great joy. That's why you should text in 81807. Just give me happiness. Oh, someone is baking cutout cookies because the grandkids are coming this afternoon to decorate them. I love that. That is one of the best things you can do this month. If you can decorate cookies with a kid, that is so fun. I love it. I love those messy cookies with sprinkles everywhere and their catastrophe. I would take child-made catastrophe cookies over a perfect Martha Stewart cookie any day. I love them. I love little three-year-old hands making the everything up. Oh, they're the best. My mom used to fry mashed potatoes and bacon grease and put a little crispy and put an egg on top. It was wonderful. I am loving that. My That is my grandpa, Sam. My grandpa, Sam's, uh, my mom, he died long before I was born, but my mom always tells me that grandpa Sam's uh, camping recipe was different things fried in bacon grease. So you make your bacon and then you have your bacon grease and nothing better. Uh, my mom likes to make pancakes and bacon grease. I like that. But potatoes, come on, any kind of potatoes and bacon grease, you're on the road to victory. I had uh, – there's a chef in town, Thomas Kim, who used to have this place called Left-Handed Cook, and he would use bacon grease and make fried rice. That's some good stuff. All right. We've got a, a call-in guest. That's fun. Elizabeth from Minneapolis. That's a, a – I'm so happy to have someone on the show. Elizabeth, welcome. Hi, Dara. I love your show. Oh, I wish thank you were you. on 24-7. You inspire so many people to get – creative in the kitchen and at the grocery store and it's just so much fun and I'm not a big cook because my husband has PTSD and he can't um, take smells of heavy food Um, and this has just happened in the last 10 years or so but when I do prepare food at home it's really um, simple and healthy And I just want to share with you something that most of your listeners and you have probably discovered way before me, but I go get a head of cauliflower and just cook it kind of al dente, not too, not overcooked to, you know, not mushy or anything. I just boil it. And then I don't want to put butter and heavy 
you know, dairy on on it. You know, I grew up with cauliflower, and it was just a lot of butter on top of it. So I just take a big dollop of um, super garlicky hummus. Oh. And I kind of cut up the cauliflower and mix in this dollop of very garlicky hummus. And the lemon juice and the hummus and the um, garlic and the tahini just add a really interesting flavor. And I thought this year for the holidays, even though it's just so darn simple, um, I'm going to bring my cauliflower with garlicky hummus in it. Do you eat it hot or cold? Hot. And, you know, I cut it up. I don't mash it, but I do cut it up to kind of little flowerettes and then just mix it in a bowl and serve it hot. And it's just the best snack. I tell you, you could easily sit down just to a bowl of this cauliflower with the garlicky hummus on it. That sounds fantastic. And also, it's... uh... Cauliflower is that cruciferous vegetable that's a cancer-fighting and pro- prebiotic, so it helps your your you know whole microbiome thrive. So it's got you've got you've got some like intelligent nutritional intelligence. You can go work <laughs> at the Cleveland Clinic now, and you can. <laughs> Thank you for that. Well, one other thing that you know usually on your previous conversation on scraps. Um, you know, all the little greens that surround the cauliflower head, people seem to sort of dissect them out and just put the white part in. Well, I'm just kind of a sloppy cook, so I just chopped and threw whatever was on the cutting board in, and a lot of the little soft greens that surround the head went in with it. And they are just tender and beautiful, too. So I've discarded them in the past, and now I'm including them. I like it. It's thrifty. It's tasty. It's good for you. Elizabeth, you're winning. That's thank good. you. Enjoy <laughs> thank your afternoon. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, very nice. All right. So I got another one. Uh, what's wrong from just composting the excess food? I feel pretty good about it. Grew up doing that. And you're making me feel bad about not eating banana peels. My friend, you're making a choice to feel bad about not eating banana peels. It's just interesting learning about what other people do. You want to eat banana peels, you go for it. I am personally not going to be doing that because life's too short. Uh, and I'm kind of barely holding on to, with, to my, you know, jobs and sanity. So, but, you know, there you go. Oh, I got an add-on to Elizabeth's good cauliflower. If you put some anchovy paste in there, you're on the road to a banyacota. That's pretty cool. Banyacota being the uh, groovy Italian kind of uh, – uh, putting vegetables in a garlicky broth thing. Oh, we got a call from John in Hammond, Wisconsin. That's This is a good show. John, welcome to the show. Thanks. As good as cauliflower is, and I love cauliflower, I'd rather talk about Christmas baking with you. Let's do it. And uh, So um, I took over the cookie baking in our house when I was 19 years old because Mom had raised seven of us on her own. And Christmas just doesn't happen. And she said, well, I'm not going to make Christmas cookies this year. So I took it over. And my mom, passed away this, my mom passed away this spring. And in her treasures, uh, now in my family, is her rolling pin. And, you know, some said, well, you've got to put that up in a special case, place, case in the kitchen. I said, absolutely not. We're going to use it every time anything needs to be rolled because that's what mom would do. So, uh, but she made plum pudding. So a steamed pudding, 
has about a half a cup of rum in it. Then you have to make the brandy sugar sauce or the rum sugar sauce that goes on top of it. And then you heat up brandy, turn off all the lights, light the brandy, and you pour flaming brandy over this plum pudding. So I love this. And and it was as much about the show for my mom as it was for the recipe and making it. So now we have the nephews and nieces and great nephews and nieces come over and we make the the messy kid cookies. And you're right, there is nothing better. So, but we have to make spritz every year and the kids love the spritz because it's inevitable that the spritz maker will act up. That means that you have lots of messy spritz that need to be eaten while the cookies are being baked. So those memories, those memories last, last a lifetime. And now every time the rolling pin comes out, all those stories of my mom's kitchen comes as flooded back. Oh, John, I love this. You are a hero to me. My, I'm like getting chills just thinking about this. That's fantastic. Thank you for putting all the work in to make these traditions keep on. Thank you for calling. We'll do all kinds of Christmas bakings in a couple of weeks. I just love all of this. Next week, we're going to have Robin Asbell. All about plant-based meats. And, uh, you know, I love Robin. I don't like plant-based meats. So see if she can change my mind. We'll have one of those difficult conversations that we're supposed to be having to to heal the culture. Um, So uh, until then, I hope you have a very great week. And I will see you back here next week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.